Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be here. Welcome if you're uh, watching online as well. Glad that you're joining us there. We're taking a few weeks off from the David series, so I get to talk about whatever I want, which is kind of awesome. But um, for whatever reason, this message for me was really hard to prepare. It was a, it was a challenge, a struggle. And um, it's probably nothing that, that many, if not most of you, have heard before. And so I think there's a little bit of uniqueness to that. But it's also just where the Lord has me. And so it's what, it's what we're going to talk about. I've been on this journey of trying to uh, claw my way through life in my own wisdom and strength, right? And, and uh, I tend to be a little stubborn. I want to do everything that's in front of me with my own uh, brain and strengths. But the Lord has been breaking me down in this area. And uh, the result of kind of this constant striving is that I've been exhausted and frustrated and a little bit depressed and anxious. And more than those things, though, I feel like my life isn't looking as much like Jesus as I would like it to. And I thought maybe it was like this early 30s crisis that nobody warned me about. But I don't think it's just limited to me. I think this is a uniquely human experience that at some point in our life we're all going to run into something like this. And the purpose of it is that God wants to pull us back to himself and teach us to depend on him. So this morning we're going to look at what God's word says about it. And Dwight, you can come on up, man. I like the um, ancient practice that churches have done for a long time of standing for, for the reading of scripture. And so I'm going to have you guys stand up. And uh, I asked Dwight Griggs, he's one of our elders, I asked him if he would read the the scripture, so we hear the whole thing together. And uh, so Dwight's going to read from 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jesus demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Amen. You guys can be seated. Lord, this morning we come to you and just say that we need you. Lord, I've had an acute sense this week of my inability to, to make anything happen. Lord, we can't with the most elaborate speeches and most compelling arguments, Lord, we uh, can't do anything in that. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and breathe life into these words, break through the calluses of our hearts, that we would hear what you have to say, be transformed and, and live differently because of it. In Jesus' name. So this is an excerpt from a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a new church in this cosmopolitan Greek city called Corinth. And uh, Corinth, you can kind of think like New York City, that type of a place. And um, he writes to this church because they don't look a whole lot different than the culture and the community they're living in. 
So rather than being marked by the transformation of Jesus, they're marked more by things like self-centeredness and division and sexual immorality and all kinds of things. So Paul invokes these two groups, the Jews and the Greeks, and he kind of calls them out because they have a lot of influence on this church. And he calls the church to a new level of holiness and obedience that leans on God's wisdom and power and not their own. And I think that their struggles weren't really all that different from a lot of ours today. We like to lean in our own strength and wisdom. And so uh, let's jump in at verse 22 and see what Paul has to say about this. So Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So the Jews demand signs or displays of power. And, and it says that Jesus becomes a stumbling block to them. Well, a couple of months ago, it was bedtime at the house, and uh, Bram is our son. He's running around the house, and he's like hitting light, jumping to hit lights, and jumping to hit door frames. And I, remember, I vividly remember doing this as a kid, actually. We'd run around, and we like to see how high we could jump. It makes you feel like you can jump as a little kid when you can hit a six-foot-eight door frame, until I learned that Logan jumps over them at his house. Um, but... Um, Anyways, Bram asked me, hey, Dad, can you hit the door frame? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't jump, right? I just tap it. We have a beam that's like seven and a half, eight feet uh, up in the air. He's like, Dad, Dad, can you hit that? I'm like, yeah, it's like a little hop, you know? But this casual, like, game became really serious when Bram was like, Dad, I bet you can't hit the ceiling. And I was like, oh, please, you know. I've got hops. And uh, our ceiling's nine feet high, so this isn't like a casual domestic hop. This takes a little bit of effort, but I've done this before because I like to jump, too. And uh, I go, Bram, not only can I touch it, I'm going to put like two hands flat on the ceiling, right? So I go like this. I go two feet, like ready to like go up for a rebound kind of thing. Jump straight up into the air and smash my head into a door frame. Yeah. So never came close to the ceiling. I smashed this door frame. And instead of getting to the ceiling, I never reached this height I wanted to. I crumbled to the floor and I'm like writhing in pain. And I don't know if you've seen the scene in Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey's like, ha, like laughing. Bram is busting up in this whole process. And so I pull, I pull my hand away, and there's like blood pouring out of my head. But anyways, I go into this little challenge, though, 100% confident that I've got what it takes to reach this height, right? But in reality, there's no way that I'm getting to the ceiling with that door frame in the way. And, and for the Jews, uh, they wanted to reach these heights of religious superiority in their own strength and their own wisdom. But the door frame or the stumbling block that they ran into was Jesus. It was the message of the cross, the message that Jesus was crucified, that he rose again to purchase salvation for all, and that he's the only means of salvation. They couldn't get around Jesus. And the Jewish leaders, they don't like this because what it meant was that no amount of human strength or religious activity can make you right with God. It was a stumbling block for the Jews. And the phrase stumbling block, it comes from this Greek word called skandalon. And it's the origin of our word scandal. And that's exactly what it was to them. It was scandalous. It completely contradicted their way of life and religious practice. For example, Jesus said to be humble, to seek God, to go pray in secret. And the Jews, they love to like pray these big elaborate prayers in public, right? They like to be seen. They want people to know their righteousness. Or Jesus said that all people, the worst sinners among us, are invited into the kingdom of God as they are. 
And when the Jews heard that, it was repulsive, it was scandalous because they thought you had to do all the right things and wear the right garments and attend the right places and know the right people. It was scandalous. It was also scandalous because they thought the Messiah would come and be this military leader who would overthrow the Roman government with signs and wonders. Why signs? Well, think about the Jewish history. They had all this history with God where he did these amazing things. Think like parting the Red Sea, that type of stuff. And when they'd seen these signs from God, they thought that it was a sign of God's favor on their lives. And they actually received it as like a sign of their own righteousness if they got to witness these signs. But Jesus was a meek and humble servant who would give his life away. He wasn't somebody that was going to overthrow earthly kingdoms because ain't nobody got time for that. He had power that wasn't visible to Jewish leaders. It was, it was a power that could save and transform the human heart. The Jewish leaders lived through their own strength and ability to be good. But the result of that kind of living is legalism, where human laws and rules are internalized and they're lived out as if they're from God. And legalism only leads to hard-heartedness and anxiety. For example, I've noticed hard-heartedness in my life when it comes to interacting with people that are challenging. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. And, uh, but no matter how hard I try in my own strength, I can't come up with the power to love people like Christ does when they're difficult. Or for me, anxiety, it creeps in when I feel this expectation to present on the outside something that's contrary to what's actually going on on the inside, right? You're living that double life. And no matter how hard I try my strength, I can't find peace. So we have to stop trying to be good in our own strength and be transformed by Jesus. And this was the stumbling block that the Jews were running into. Maybe you can relate today. Maybe it's different symptoms or circumstances for you. But is there transformation in your life that you've been hoping to see and experience that just hasn't been coming? Perhaps you're running into a stumbling block, and his name is Jesus, and he wants to give you power to live. So let's go back to verse 22. So Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for what? Say it. Wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and what for Gentiles? Foolishness. It's foolishness. So the Jews demand signs, displays of power. Jesus becomes a stumbling block. The Greeks, on the other hand, they loved wisdom. And they believe that Jesus' message was foolishness. They believe that humans could think their way to God with all their brilliant ideas. And as we know, that's not always a good idea. So I asked Jana and the kids this week to help me think of like, things that, that dumb people have done. You know? And within seconds, they'd rattled off this exhaustive list of, about me, of course. So I was leisurely fishtailing in a snowstorm, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, after work one day, I spun out and drove on top of a fire hydrant and totaled our car. One time I was trying to add doorknobs uh, to the kitchen cabinets and I drilled into the side that doesn't open. Does that make sense? Uh, one time I was, lift, I was lifting weights. I was doing this exercise. I don't know what it's called. With dumbbells and Bram, he was three, walks up and I hit him in the face and he had to go get stitches. Uh, when Jana was going into labor with our youngest, Liza, she um, woke me up because of course I was sleeping and she says, honey, I'm going into labor. And I just said, no, you're not. Um, one time... <laughs> Jan and I were getting ready to go to a wedding, and she asked me, "What guys, what did she ask? How do I look? And I said, okay. So our wisdom, 
it's bad. Mine's bad for sure. But seriously, um, don't do that. We all easily buy into our human wisdom, and our culture says that it's good. But I think we need to stop and ask, is it really in line with God's wisdom, or is it comfortable for us? Does it revolve around our lives and make life easy for us? Human wisdom says stuff like this, YOLO, what's that mean? You only live once, right? Live in the moment, do what feels good. God's wisdom says, whoever wants to find life must lose it. Human wisdom says, just live your truth. Be a good person. I don't even know what that means. What does just live your truth means? But God's wisdom says, no, Christ alone is your righteousness. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Human wisdom says, hide your vulnerability. God's wisdom says, Christ's power is displayed through your weakness. Human wisdom says, make a name for yourself. God's wisdom says, become less and make Jesus greater. Human wisdom says, achieve, earn. Money is your security. Human, or God's wisdom says, give it all away. Live generously. And I know that it makes me uncomfortable if I really sit and think about it because I've found security and comfort in money. Rarely, but I have. Um, I've enjoyed recognition when I've had success. I like the adventure of living in the moment. And for the Greeks, when they were confronted with God's wisdom, they said it was foolishness. Why? Because God's wisdom was different than theirs. Their wisdom all revolved around self and comfort and me and what I want, what I want to do, what's easiest. It had nothing to do with God's purposes in the world. So anything that confronted that was foolishness. And I think that we tend to be the same. We judge if it's reasonable or not based on our comfort and convenience and not God's word. So why does it matter that we seek God's wisdom? What's the point of it if it's not comfortable? I googled uh, my wife Jana this week, which is super creepy, I know. But um, from a simple Google search, I found out where she lives. I found out where she works, what she looks like, when her birthday is, who she's married to, me. I saw pictures of her kids. Um, I found out that she likes to drink Coke. I found out that she writes lots of blogs and very good ones, I might add. But lots of information that I found out about Jana. But reality is Jana doesn't want me to know about her, right? She doesn't want me to be able to rattle off data. She wants me to know what she's passionate about. What brings her joy? She wants me to live in a way that, that honors her and seeks her best. You guys know Jeopardy James? Jeopardy James could crush the column, right, about Jana, but he wouldn't actually know her, right? So, yeah. Did it come up? I don't know. Anyways, knowing about Jana isn't the goal, right? That's not the goal. Knowing Jana is the goal. And knowing about God Having an intellectual awareness of spiritual things, that's not the goal. Knowing God is the goal. Knowing what God cares about, knowing what God's like, knowing what his mission in the world is and our role in that, that's what counts. The Greeks just wanted answers for everything. And I think we like to have answers, but look what Paul says about this in verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him. Did you catch that? The world through its wisdom did not know God. Our deepest thinking only brings us to intellectual awareness of spiritual things. We need to seek God's wisdom because through it we can actually know God. 
and we can actually know his ways. No amount of human reasoning can lead you to know and live out God's ways. The Jews want power, and the Greeks want wisdom. What both groups ran into was Jesus. And the reality is that their power and wisdom weren't enough. So where's your strength from today? What's your source of wisdom today? I wrote the following at some point in the last year. Um, and I think it needs to be read um, because I think that maybe some of you are here with me. So I wrote this. I feel a certain pressure and expectation to have it all together. I don't know how much of it is external versus internal pressure, but it's pressure nonetheless. I have such a hard time admitting any level of brokenness. Internally, I'm in shambles. Sad and lonely, frustrated, bitter, angry, anxious, depressed. I'm real fun to be around. I've known Jesus about 32 years now. I asked him into my heart and got baptized when I was a little kid. I've been part of countless church activities over the year. I've gone on mission trips and camps and preached sermons and led worship, and I've even been ordained by a globally respected denomination. I've tried to help other people connect with God. I try to teach my children about God. I've spent hours in prayer and reading the Bible. I've tried to absorb as much Christian literature as I can over the years. I've even made Christianese social media posts. I'm sorry for that. I've embraced charismatic worship and liturgical worship, hoping that if I were excited or somber enough that God might show up. I've pleaded to have freedom from sin patterns. I've errantly committed countless things to God, and I've promised to do better as many times. I've drunk the Kool-Aid of exciting Christian living, only to find myself bored, bitter, and seemingly not more, much more like Jesus than at 19. After all this Christian living, my soul is wanting. It's tired and gaunt, starving for something more, for something vibrant, something that's full of life, something that produces joy, something that moves me to compassion and empathy, something that's in step with eternal purpose, that's fueled by a transforming power, something that can actually bring victory over sin, something that actually releases my soul from shame and condemnation, something that actually has the power to restore things that are broken, to heal bodies that are decaying, to meet the needs of the orphan, the widow, the refugee, the prisoner, and the outcast. This isn't what I think Jesus had in mind for me or for his church. And it's not what the world needs. We need Jesus. In church, this morning, we need Jesus. Anything else is insufficient. Our best effort leaves us empty. We need, we need his power in our lives. We need his power in this church. Have you hit a point where everything else has left you empty? It's left you starving and gaunt and hungry for something more, for something real. Man, I want to see a move of God. I want to see it here in this place. I want to see it here in my heart. And I want to see a move of God that's not just marked by signs and wonders, though I do believe God does those still. For me, the biggest miracle right now is the miracle of lives that are transformed by Jesus. That's what I want to see. You know what the world says about it? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. But the reality is that every soul walking in every corner of the planet is crying out for this, whether they have a name for it or not. Does your soul cry out for that this morning? 
Let's look at how Paul wraps this up in verse 24. It says, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those whom God has called, to those who are being saved, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Maybe you're like me and you've been on this journey for a while. And you kind of go, man, I've heard all this before. What do I do? How do I live in power and wisdom that comes from God? I believe there are two really important components to the how. The first thing is we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. You've heard it a million times. This is where power to live a holy and effective life comes from. And Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's as simple as asking. And second, and I think this is the most difficult thing for us in our culture, is that we must live with relentless obedience to God's word. Relentless obedience. And why is this so difficult? Because God's word has a lot of things to say in it that force us to release control, right? They're counterintuitive to what we think is right. And this is, this is the journey the Lord's had me on specifically, that I like to be in control of my life. And the Lord has asked me, when's the last time you came to my word to know how to live, to know what needs to change, to know what you're supposed to do, rather than getting the information in here, to be able to answer questions, or to be able to check it off the list so that I feel good about myself. And I ask you, when was the last time you approached God's word that way? To be effective followers of Jesus, we have to simply obey his words. And Acts 5 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. So the two are intricately connected. You can't separate them. Obedience and being filled with the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. And it's a hard teaching. It's a really hard teaching. Maybe it's a stumbling block. Throughout history, countless people have turned away from Jesus because it's not easy. Will you turn or will you surrender? A.W. Tozer said this about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, The crowd that wouldn't turn away was the crowd that made history. The crowd that wouldn't turn back was the crowd that was there when the Holy Ghost came and filled the place where they were sitting. The crowd that turned back never knew what it was all about. But maybe you feel in your heart that you just can't go on as you are. That the level of spirituality to which you know yourself called is way beyond you. If you feel that there's something that you must have or your heart will never be satisfied, that there are levels of spirituality, that there are mystic deeps and heights of spiritual communion, purity, and power that you have never known, that there is fruit which you know you should bear and do not, victory which you know you should have and have not, I would say, come on, because God has something for you tonight. Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience his transforming power in your life? And come on, God has something for you. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I had a surgery almost three weeks ago. It was a hernia. Don't visualize it. It's gnarly. Um, it's not attractive, but the hardest part about recovery was the first two days. Because I couldn't do anything on my own. Like when they cut into your core, it really messes with you. So 
Jana had to literally help me in and out of bed. She had to help me get in and out of the shower. She had to help me get dressed. She had to help me go to the bathroom. It was miserable and humbling, and some things just can't be unseen. But I think this is a helpful picture, though, or maybe not a helpful picture. Let's call it an analogy uh, of how we're supposed to approach Jesus. We come to Jesus and we're helpless. No amount of our own strength can get us where we should be or where we want to be or where Christ would have us be. We're helpless. We're in need of a Savior who can save and transform us. And today, I want you to have that picture that Jesus is reaching out his hand. He says, I have the strength that you need. Where is it that you need Jesus to step in and save? It may not be, you may not be where I'm at. It may be different for you. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or a substance. Maybe you can't control your anger or your pride and it's destroying your relationships around you. Are you constantly running into challenges at work or on the home front that you don't have the wisdom to solve? Do you worry that this is all there is to life? That you missed your opportunity to have an impact in the world? Maybe today... You just want to meet Jesus for the first time. And I think maybe it's not all bad. Maybe some of you are pursuing Jesus. You are trying to live in step with the Spirit, but you're finding yourself clawing. You're tired. You're worn out. You're weary. There's something that you're involved with that that is way beyond your wisdom and strength to accomplish. You need Jesus. Whatever place you're in today, the invitation is to surrender to come to Jesus and surrender. He wants to fill you with your spirit if you would humbly obey and come. So we're going to spend some time in worship. And um, I want you to just take this time. I want to I invite you to take this time to, to reflect on this, to consider um, what things am I doing in my own strength and wisdom that God wants to have me surrender, that he wants to take control of. And then second, I want you to ask him to fill you with his spirit because he says he will. He says he will. And so we're just going to take time. If you want to come to the front and pray, uh, people will be happy to pray with you or if you want to pray in your seat or if you want to pray with somebody around you or kneel, whatever you want, this is free space for you to do that. But like Tozer said, come on. God has something for you today. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we just say we need you. Nothing else will do. Think what Paul said where he's counted everything as trash compared to knowing you. Everything is trash compared to knowing you, God. And we need an encounter with you today. We need to hear your voice. We need to be filled with your spirit. So we ask that you would do just that. Holy Spirit, come. Let heaven come in this place. Transform our hearts. And would you speak clearly to us right now, Lord, what is it that we need to release control of so that we can live more fully in the power and wisdom of your Spirit? We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name.